Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Confronting the Madness, a podcast exploring the psychological issues of our time. My name is Mark Corthius, host of Confronting the Madness. Anti-fragile is a term coined by Nassim Taleb and is an expression that defines my guest today, Luke Judge Fendick, to a T. Luke was born in Bosnia and was fortunate to have moved to Canada during the midst of the Bosnian War. He was 13 when he first landed in Toronto. Luke joined the Canadian Armed Forces in his early 20s as a way, he says, to pay back a country who saved his life. In total, Luke did five tours of duty and spent over 1,100 days in Afghanistan, one of the most of any Canadian soldier. We go through each of the tours in this episode. To quote a passage from Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile, Some things benefit from shocks. They thrive and grow when exposed to volatility, randomness, disorder, and stressors, and love adventure, risk, and uncertainty. Anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient resist shocks and stay the same. The anti-fragile get better. This is Luke Judge Offendick. A common theme I took from this conversation is that complex systems are weakened, even killed, when deprived of stressors. In many ways, COVID-19 aside, I believe our society is being weakened due to a lack of significant stressors placed on our systems. I'm more referring here not to the vulnerable or the disenfranchised, but more so to those of us who are living comfortable lives. We often equate comfort to happiness, but ironically, most people find the opposite is the case. Confronting and transcending suffering is where meaning, purpose, and happiness can be best derived. During this podcast, Luke provides us all a reminder of that. And now I bring to you Luke, Judge Authentic. speak into the microphone just so that i can make sure that you're what do you want me to just say? just say whatever just just to do a test uh, yeah he doesn't want to play today <laughs> yeah okay okay <laughs> okay let's, let's not he's, put that on yeah play today. well he got he got bisectomy so it's uh, <laughs> might as well be that <laughs> okay i'm gonna kick this thing off um luke judge offendic yeah Okay, so you did five tours of Afghanistan and yes. one tour of Bosnia. Yes. Bosnia war in the 90s, is that when it was? Or I, I've done a, one tour in Bosnia in 2003. 2003. Well, what was happening there then? Uh, I was just a peacekeeping oh, mission. Oh, a peacekeeping mission. Is it accurate to say you've done the most tours of Afghanistan of any Canadian or no? Uh, I don't know. I haven't come across that stat, but I should be up in, yeah. in, in a single digits of, uh, uh, of Afghanistan. Okay. I've done about uh, going on four years, so over oh. 1,200 days. Wow. So just, I'm just going to put that mic closer to you. So you don't have to go back. Okay, I'm going to go in three, two, one. Um, Luke Jaja Fendick uh, is here with me today to talk on Confronting the Madness. Luke has done five tours in Afghanistan, as well as one tour in Bosnia. And uh, really interesting guy, has a really interesting story. 
and uh, we're just going to walk through it. He also is the goalie of on my soccer team. And before I get into you telling me your story, Luke, for the record, up until 20 minutes ago, he didn't even know I was the guy that was going to do this podcast. He thought it was somebody else. And so I thought he was going to cancel on me when he figured out it was me. Uh, so, Luke, wel- welcome. How are you doing, buddy? I'm excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Um, so I, I want to start at the beginning because, I mean, you- you've told me some pretty, um, let's call them interesting stories about your time in Afghanistan. But let's just start back uh, from, you know, when where you were born, what you grew up in, and uh, tell us a little bit about your time um, living in Bosnia. So I grew up in Bosnia, obviously 1977. I grew up uh, in small town Doboy, which is northern northern Bosnia. Uh, my parents, my father was ex-military, and then he was a professor, and then uh, my mother was a, like administrative nurse. And I have a brother that's 18 and a half years older than me. That's actually a, a cop in uh, in Toronto right now. Mm. So uh, again, as a childhood, it's pretty much. It was before the war. It's pretty simple. We're just playing soccer and all the other stuff. It was nothing really special going on. I mean, we live in communist country uh, at the time. Tito was a, a big thing, and I think it's a still a big hit. Mm-hmm. As I went back in 2017, people still are like I want that old system back because I mm. think the democracy is not for everybody. Right. I think. Right. And, and in this society, and then once, of, obviously, once the war started, everything went upside down. Right. And uh, we had to migrate here. Good thing I had an aunt that lived here, so she sponsored us in 1993. I came uh, okay. here on September 13th. And, and when, when did the war in Bosnia start? Was it 89? It's or? 92. That 92. Actually in Bosnia, and it, like in 90s, was mostly Croatia. It was Slovenia for about two weeks, and then Croatia was a pretty pretty big big thing for a couple of years and then he went to bosnia and mm. that's where it ended and what what was that like for the brief period of time that you were there um it was like- a it was a big shock to system because you 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 come I, I didn't know anything about religion at the time either like none of us were religious right. i think I, I grew up in kind of a, a family that was i wouldn't say terribly atheist but my father was i uh, didn't believe in god he believed in like a bettering the man kind of thing right uh, so I, once the war started, I, I figured out that I was endangered species, and then uh, <laughs> then it, it's pretty pretty tough. Yeah, and so you moved to Canada in '93, um, and when did you start thinking about joining the Canadian Armed Forces, or when did you start thinking about you wanted to serve for Canada? So I went through high school until '96. I had a few jobs here and there. Uh, I wanted to really try to go professionally in hockey. That didn't kind of work out. Uh, in hockey, hey? In hockey, oh. of all things. And soccer, because soccer wasn't big at the time. Mm. So uh, there was nothing. I had a few tryouts for a, like uh, university teams and stuff, but they were mostly selective on the kids who wanted, who were already there. Right. So really, you needed to, like, connections. I didn't have time. I didn't have anybody to connect me to it. So I tried hockey. I played pretty pretty good hockey but never could break down to to that like a professional contract so i decided what i was going to do with my life is to join the military because if it wasn't for canadians i I wouldn't be alive today Mm. uh so it's it is my kind of my honor 
for next 25 years from the day I joined in 2000 till 2025 to repay the society back. Wow. What what they gave me yeah another chance in right because if if i didn't come here i would be six feet down the ground right yeah i'm 100 percent sure about that wow and so at, when you joined you jo so you joined in 2000 how old were you at that so time i was 23 at the time 23 and so what were what were the first couple of years like in the military so in the military because i was an athlete and athletic mm -hmm. uh i kind of picked it up since military's you know when I joined, I wanted to be infantry. My father was infantry. He was infantry uh, captain first class when he kind of retired out of the military. So I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be a sniper. I wanted to do all these things. So when I went and did the aptitude test, they were like, mm, you're the only one to stay back. Like, how could I fail the aptitude right. test? It's super easy. Yeah. It's like, no. No, you scored close to like perfect, so you have to like pick a trade that's uh, actually trade related. Because you're too, you're you're so good. Yeah, I was you... yeah. So they didn't wanna they didn't want me to put in infantry, not like debilitating the infantry or any other combat trade. Yeah. But they wanted the smarter people to go into like a trade. So when they gave me option, I picked a mechanic because okay. I didn't know it. The reason why because I didn't know anything about cars at the uh, time. I see. So. Per, Perfect slate, clean slate, something yeah. to learn. Yeah. And then, then I took it off. Uh, I did my journeyman training in Borden. It was a year. And I actually ended up being top student. Oh, well. Because uh, I was very good with books. Mm -hmm. I always book smart. But one thing I always lacked was that social interaction. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that I was I was always myself. But I then I started to pick up from these older guys who were really good at social interacting and they were really street smart mm -hmm. that I figure out really the book is not where it's at. It's actually street smart, how to read people, how right. to interact with people, what to tell, how to break the ice. And this is where I really switched from that kind of a mode of a book smart to a street smart. Mm. And I think those guys really catapulted what I am right now into, into something differently. Right. So when you, I, I didn't know that when you joined the military, you be you are a mechanic. So talk talk about that a bit more. I'm just gonna fix this microphone. Just so it's a bit closer. If you could talk into it a little closer. Yeah. So, so you you're you, what you're a, you're a mechanic, and so why do they do that in the military? Just so that you can have some education once you're or. Yeah, so they would because those trades are kind of always in, in red. Uh, they would call it in red. They always need people in those trades. One, the training is a little bit tougher because you stick, still have to have skills and the book smarts. Right. Two, a lot of people, when they achieve that certification of a of mechanic, they just leave the military because mm. they already got – it's somebody paid you to go to school. Right. You can just write the – tests uh on a civvy street you just challenge the exams and you get your licenses mm. you don't have to pay anything yeah so you have your first initial contract which was four years and then after four years they just get out and uh th that's why this trade at least my trade even now it's always at red mm. because people uh and it is a it is a kind of intensive labor job as well because everything always breaks especially right. with the military it's yeah yeah that they call it military grade Right. Well, that's, that's that's exactly what it says. It's everything is military grade. Uh, really? Yeah. So it's not that good quality then. No, no. It's a very test test field. Really? For, for other, I believe, other, you know, 
getting a military contract and getting like a vehicle in yeah i mean it's it's a big money yeah oh for yeah a product that's unproven and mm. then you end up you know, slaving over equipment right that's not not to say that it, that it's a wrong thing to do or how i should run business but that's what it is mm. at the end of the day military grade it doesn't <laughs> like the commercial ford commercial say military yeah grade, yeah that's a Bi- borderline we always have a good laugh fire beware with yeah, the military beware, grade exactly. eh? so so you got did you get your mechanics um whichever type of certification yeah so the first one is the so you so after that initial like training they pick a posting for you i, I actually grew up in toronto mm-hmm. for uh, till 2000 and then they posted me to edmonton so i went ended up to service battalion and uh as the story goes you need to write your uh so what you have to do is like a journeyman so you have to be on job training so you have this book you have to do a job and somebody signs off mm-hmm. saying you did that job so it's a book it, it should take you about two years but in my case i came to a service battalion at the time and they were going to bosnia and they figure out oh they call me jar jar that right. stuck from the basic training that's my call sign at the time wasn't very funny i think it's awesome now <laughs> it's very unique call sign when yeah. you say jar jar and everybody knows who it is oh good yeah. so uh well you speak the language would you like to go on a tour mm. and the policy said that you're not allowed to go on tour until you're fully qualified mm. well they bypassed the policy oh, right wow. and they sent me on a tour like maybe two months into it really and when i landed in bosnia i remember going to croatia and they wouldn't let me in in a uniform because i had place to burst bosnia and the croatian like border when we land i think we landed in zagreb and they were like nope you're not coming in we're not letting you to the country really and my like officers and stuff they had to smooth it out and finally let me through and wow yeah and it was a big 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 i wouldn't say big fiasco but it was right. a funny story yeah yeah, yeah so i went to bosnia and literally my my supervisor took the book asked me a few questions and said you know what it's all signed off oh we'll wow. work on the floor and that's exactly how it was really so we can't submit this book to a school for about six seven months uh for meantime, you just, you know, go work, hook on to somebody else. If you have any questions, read the book, and that's it. Really? Right. And uh, and it was the best way, I think, to, to learn because uh, it was right on. Equipment was right on. You need to do work all the time. And it's kind of a – it's funny because there's never time when mechanics are sitting around, like, joking because mm-hmm. we're always working. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't work 24. Some jobs are 48 hours straight that Jeez. you have to work. So it's not – it does take some mental state right. as well to do that. And so Bosnia, that was a, that was a peacekeeping mission. Peacekeeping. Yeah. Yes. And how long were you there for? For seven months. Seven months. Yeah. Okay. And so that was relatively um, benign as I, far as it was. Or daunting ha- for me because right. how I'm gonna go back in a different uniform. Mm. So it uh, it was kind of. Uh, I was first, I was scared because I still, it was first time that they let me wear my name tag that anybody that was Bosnian that went back, let them, because they usually take your name tag off saying, we don't want if I'm, somebody's crazy enough to say you're off the ship, right? right? We never know what they can do. And this time I wasn't. So I did some translation. They let me go back to my town a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, to see my like uh, distant family. And yeah. we did. Uh, it was pretty good. Yeah. No really big issues. I didn't have issues with anybody. Right. And then so you, you come back um, to Edmonton? 
and yeah, you're back to the barracks, and then, and then, so when did you first get deployed to Afghanistan, so, or how did that all come come so to be? Even funnier story, because I just wrote the book off. They were waiting for six months since I returned. When the six months returned, they asked me, "Johnny, you want to go to Afghanistan? I want to go to your finish your qualification. Mm. No, I want to go to Afghanistan." And off I go to Afghanistan. Really, two thousand four. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, if I was a road to rotation, second rotation up in Kandahar. And uh, was no, that? It wasn't Kandahar. It was at Kabul at the time. Kabul. And so was that a shock to you, or or how did you think so through that all? I remember telling, driving home, and telling my parents that, like, I'm going to Afghanistan, and they're like, "What is wrong with you? <laughs> like, what is serious? There's something wrong with you, right? Because you, what you just went through, like, and you want to go to Afghanistan? Yeah, I want to do this for my country. Uh, so I went. We landed. Uh, I remember I was like a air sentry on an armored vehicle and just the way everything looked, yeah. I seriously questioned my decision because oh, yeah. I'm like, I lived through, through Bosnia right? and oh my God, like, am I like, what is this? This is actually it. I didn't know there was worse places than this. Right. And all of a sudden I'm stuck in a worse place. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a different cause you lived in a tent, uh, it, nobody knows the area it's very like your second rotation it, it's still like it, it's very timid because people are timid that all, all of a sudden they view us like almost like russians mm -hmm. that they didn't just finished with russians now we're coming to try to occupy with our vehicles and it's it's uh it's quite a different and so you land there and like what's your first day on the job like what do you what do you do? So we were like a second line uh, for armored vehicles. I was at least so second line meaning what we do major components. So if the 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 tank or a lab it wasn't a tank, but I mean if the armored vehicle came in and had a, like a need to replace the engine or any major assembly that took over more than four hours, we would do the job. Mm, I see. So some jobs took about 18, 20 hours. And you have to, because everything has to be constantly up. Mm -hmm. Everything is a priority. You have different priorities. And everything is, over in the war zone, everything is a priority. Mm. So uh, you have to go work on it and fix it. And it's, you know, everything is dark at night. There's no lights. There's no, I mean, at that time, there was not even internet. I mean, the internet just came out. Wow. Right? Yeah. So you had like 30 minutes to call home once a week. Wow. So that, that was it. Yeah. You had a phone card, 30 minutes. That's all you talk to your family about. Wow. And so did you get used to it over how many months is a, was a six to nine months? Yeah, like six to nine. So this was six months exactly yeah. that I was there. And was there a lot of activity like in terms of? Yes uh, and no. We, at that time, because I'm inside a, like a fob or base, right. there's no really activity. We only have to launch out uh, to go get vehicles or repair vehicles mm -hmm. if they're outside and they need something. Uh, so we go out, sometimes we have to go up in the mountains and like a vehicle would roll over, we have to take it back. So that would be our job. I see. So the infantry section would escort us, we would get there, do our job, and they would escort us back. And was there ever any like um, fatalities? Yes, there were always. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. there were two fatal three fatalities on our tour in that time. And so how does that even, I, I mean, I guess you were, you were probably not part of that action but you know s s this group of like who are the ones that are actually what are they called the ones that are actually out there uh fighting or patrolling the well or how do you how to talk through that a little bit so infantry armored uh 
engineers are usually ones that disperse out, do their missions, whatever the mission is. Right. Uh, you had special forces too. You had the contractors at the time. So they're all different entities. They also had different forces like Americans mm -hmm. that are there as well. So there's a whole mingle full of different people. They usually launches out that they need the mechanical support that they always need. If you take an armored vehicle out or any kind of vehicle, you're always going to need a, you have a, have a mechanic, mechanic with, with you. you. Yeah. So if it breaks down and you have to fix it. So you're always part of the action some, somehow, yeah. indirectly, because they all take care of the threat. And right. like usually as a mechanic, I would say not never. There's times when you, that's why you have to be a soldier at the end. Yeah. Uh, you have to fight your way through. But your priority is to, to obviously take care of the the vehicles and everybody make it back right and so you had two um two fatalities that tour and so you come back after your first tour and how did, how did it feel after you're done was it something where you're like did you enjoy the experience so it, it is funny because it, it kind of uh you go through the state of emotions as you go for example for like a six so you you're very excited when you get there right new thing new opportunity you want adrenaline adrenaline's pumping you know, that will wear off about two weeks into yeah. it. And then it's going to become a monotony for next X amount. And all you're looking for is like a HLTA, which is HLTA is like a break in the middle where you decide to either go home or go to mm. third place. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to have a vacation, it's like 18 days long. I see. So you go somewhere and all you look, you count your days till that day so you can go home or, or wherever. I went home on all of it, but last one uh, to see my family, obviously. Uh and then, uh, sorry. So, and then, like I remember, you get so excited, you come home, and then you like the the day approaches that you have to go back, and you're the whole you think is like I don't want to go back, like mm. I don't want to go back. And then you go there, there's that kind of a disappointment feeling, and then you get back once again because once you're suffering with other people, everything becomes easy. Mm -hmm. That is the key to I think human life is suffering. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the guy beside you that doesn't want to quit, you're not going to, I mm -hmm. guarantee you're not going to quit. Mm -hmm. But if there's nobody around you, then you have to find something eternally to be able to suffer with. Mm -hmm. So I suffer is a big, big part of a, I think equation. I mean, you can call suffering without anything depends on a situation, but in there, and then at the end you get so excited, you want to go home. Right. And I remember like all I do, all I wanted to do, is wanted to spit on that before I left the airport. But for some reason, I never did because I was like, I never know him. I might be back. Mm -hmm. And the thought of you leaving is like, I'm never coming back. Right. There's no way I'm ever coming back. Mm -hmm. This is like, you're literally rolling the dice every time you mm -hmm. go out because mm -hmm. you don't know what's going to happen. The, the, this enemy, it was very new at the time. His insurgency was brand new at the time. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're fighting that the force that has the uniforms you have the defined lines of right. engagement yeah these guys are everywhere right and they strike at any time and it's very opportunist uh very opportunistic and they know what they're doing they're the great i believe those are the greatest killers in the world really uh over there because all they do they live in suffering yeah so when you're in a suffering man everything becomes easy right, so right. every day like i you want to fight the enemy who is willing to strap the bomb to their chest and blow yeah. themselves up <laughs> yeah, for idealism seriously. yeah i'm sorry but that to me presents that he is a greater threat than me yes who, i'm not willing to strap mm -hmm, a bomb mm -hmm. and die for it whatever yeah. ideology i want yeah even even like i don't understand but you know what you have to give respect 
Totes. And as we go through tours, you'll see how this ramps up to, to like the point of like madness. It literally is a madness mm. at the point of like you don't even know what's up and down anymore. Mm. What decision do you make? Mm. It, it is very crucial. At this time, I'm still a lowly corporal, right? So I don't have to make a lot of decisions. Yeah, yeah. Almost all decisions are meant made by somebody else. But as you progress, you get more rank. You get people underneath you. Then it becomes even worse mm. because now you have to think. You're looking after people's lives. Yeah. My well-being, the equipment well-being, there has to be a defined, defined line. There's pressure for everywhere, pressure of just, you know. there. Like, in those cases, nobody's ever sick. Mm. Like, there's there's never sick because you don't want to feel that you're letting your team down. Right. Uh, even if you're hurt, you're still going to go through it. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's something, like, and it actually calluses your mind. Mm. So when you come to this and somebody says, well, you know, something is tough and you just laugh mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. in perspective what you've done in your life. It's and I over. never understood how much Bosnia made me tougher because every time I went to school, they said, oh, look at that poor guy. I'm sorry what happened to you in Bosnia. I wish everything is okay. And I kind of took a pity upon myself, mm. not realizing that actually made me very, very different individual. Oh, yeah. It made me understand what suffering. So what really took... There was a one June night in 1992 that really changed, I think, my whole life. I think the whole well-being of what I do. We'll go back to Bosnia. So my brother, they knocked on our door, military police. My brother answered, and he was working out. My brother was like a bigger guy. He was very hulky, muscular guy. Uh, And they're like, give me a card. Oh, communist? All right, come with us. So I took him to jail. Mm. And I remember my father telling me, okay, go see the mayor of the city and see if you can get him out. But the time was about 8, 8.45 and 9 o'clock was a police hour. So 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the morning, no questions asked, you get shot. Really? And if if you're outside? Outside, yeah. you don't have, you're not in uniform, you don't have a reason to be outside, you're going to get shot. You get shot. No asked. questions asked. No question asked. The siren will blare at nine and siren will blare at five. Wow. And you do not come outside. Wow. So I remember, I think that the trek was about 10 minutes. So I go see, see the mayor. He's like, listen, like, I can't do nothing right now. Police hour. We'll see what we can do tomorrow. And this is where I learned that emotion is the, the greatest downfall of all humans. Mm-hmm. Once you start thinking emotionally, you're irrational. Mm-hmm. and irrational decision yeah you think about it, every time you got in shit it's because you were emotional mm-hmm. and you said something you did something that is off the cuff and never thought through it mm-hmm. so my impulse was to walk beside the police station mm. and it was this bla- uh, the sirens already blared it's like i think 9 10 and i remember just two jeeps black and right guns pointing out and they're who who are you what are you doing here? So they, what they really, I understood this years and years ago. They were obviously thinking of, I was scouting how many police officers are at what station so I can, like, to the enemy. Right, like right. That, I mean, that's, if you think of it, logically, that's what they think. Mm-hmm. Of who the, who is this kid, right? I was like 15 at the time. And I remember it was the, like, I think police chief or somebody comes out and is like, Neil. And I kneel, and he takes his pistol, cocks it, puts it in my mouth. And uh, 
and I know he's not screwing around even as a kid because I can smell that pistol is fired recently. Mm. I can smell the gunpowder. I can smell that it was cleaned, that, that CLP kind of smell. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I should kill you right now. But you know what? I'm in a good mood. I'm going to give you 15 seconds to get to your building. If you don't get there in 15 seconds, I will shoot you from behind. And I remember running, not looking back. Wow. I, I came home. And How far is, away fr- from the building were you? It felt like I was a kilometer away. Yeah. Like wow. 15 seconds, right? I ran, never looked back. But at that moment, it's, if you can slow the time, and time somehow stops. I remember, if I ever get out of this, I will try to, like, for nobody else to ha- this ever happen to. Mm-hmm, I'll try mm-hmm. to change. If, if you let me live, kind of, you're playing with something. Yeah. Right? You're playing with God, whatever. Like this, if I live through this, I would try to make this world a better place. Wow. And this is where all kind of started. So that was your I, inflection that point. That was my reflection. Exactly. Yeah. That point where he's like, that changed your life is, forever. That changed a lot forever. Do you mind just moving your chair a bit closer so you're closer to the mic? That is um, just even the thought of having a, um, a gun in your mouth. Like that's such a Hollywood It is type a Hollywood, thing, right? You know? it, it is a kind of a scare tactic. I mean, going back to Bosnia, I was, my father said to, uh, to me, fuck, you have to go to university, man. Yeah, actually faculty, because mm-hmm. I, I was going to become a lawyer. Yeah. So first year of faculty is like, you have to go. It's like, I know you're not the same domination. And, uh, but if we don't show that we support the local government, yeah. then they're going to say they're going to come and kill us because they're like, wow, you, you don't, you don't care what we do. Your kid doesn't go to school. You think you're, you know, you can do yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I had to go to like a faculty. I remember it was only two of us and they put us in the back of the room, never say a word. That's what from a teacher, right? So you're really? sitting here and uh, they're like, it's like almost, I feel like if you look at the analogy of uh, like uh, in the United States with the, the African-Americans mm-hmm. being segregated in mm-hmm. the back of the class, that's literally what I went through. Wow. Although I look, I act, R- I right. talk the yeah. same, yet somebody knows I'm different religion-wise. And then I remember all the threats in the school. Like, you're going to, we're going to like beat, the, beat really? you at this lunchtime. We're going to beat you up. So you have to like kind of strategically sneak out, run away, right. come back. And that lasted, thank God, only half a year, and then we moved to right. Canada. But I mean, Holy. I don't think I could I could live <laughs> for and four years. D- how did d- what happened with your brother? So my brother was badly beaten for for about a week. It was an inch, inch when he away was, from life when he was in prison. Yeah, literally, they broke chairs off of him. He was black. My parents wouldn't let me see when he came back because they didn't so want bad. to give me uh, they trauma. Didn't want to give me the trauma as a kid, Jeez. right? And. Uh, I, he's very bitter about the whole situation. I am, on the other hand, I don't hold grudges. Mm. Even whatever happened in Afghanistan happened. That war is over right. technically for me, and I I play on the teams that are Afghans. I right. don't hold anything. Right. Like I don't have anything to hold with anything. That war is done. Yeah. As as far as I'm concerned. That, that's an interest. I want to talk about that some more because I'm curious how many people would hold that perspective in Canadian American militaries, especially now that they've, you know. 20 well, years pulled, yeah. pulled out everybody pulled out so let's let's go back if we can to um so you come back home after your first tour and um so what happens 
how and how because you've done five tours, which is, I think, we're going to say unofficially, one of the one of the longest longest yes. amounts of you spend how how many. Uh, Oh, I think over 1,100 days. So it's almost going on four years. 1,100 days yeah. in Afghanistan. Holy. It's going on four years in Afghanistan. So you come back uh, after your first tour, and how long were you back for? So I was back in 2005. Uh, so once I – like, they cannot deploy you for about six months. You have to stay at home because they want to integra- integrate you. Right. At that time, we didn't have such thing as an integration Uh so they figured that out uh, as we went on to these tours that you can't just take a guy from a war zone, right. put him on a plane, bring him home. Right. It doesn't work that way. Right. Somewhere along the line, he has to decompress. Mm-hmm. Right? He has to have that. So they figure out as we go on that they always had like three days in like Cyprus to decompress. I see. Where people drink, go nuts, whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just deflate from... Because you can't go from redlining into like, I remember I was driving like a maniac because that was my SOP. I was driving on the wrong side of the road because that was, when I drove, that was my lane. Mm. So I remember driving and my wife is going, what are you doing? (laughs) You're going the off lane, in the left lane. I'm sorry. So this is what we learned as, I guess, military that like, yeah, there has to be a, a kind of a decompression state. So I come home, whatever, reintegrate. Six months later, I go finish my uh, qualification mm-hmm. for mechanic. And even the funny story is you go to school, I have more medals than instructors. Mm. And uh, they're like, uh, uh, what did you, what trade did you come to us from? Right. And I'm like, nothing. And they lost their mind. Wow. Like, what do you mean we're sending? I'm like, when you're good, you're good. Mm. That's it. <laughs> and, and what happens, I, I speak languages, like I speak all those Slavic languages. Mm-hmm. And they're very, very similar, like Russian and uh, like Polish and all these things are very similar. That I can, even if I don't know full language, I can get my point across right. and I can read it and mm-hmm. I can understand. So that was my greatest, I think, mm-hmm. gift because I can almost communicate to all the other nations. And as soon as they realize that you are European or mm-hmm. kind of a descent, everybody turns. Like it's a different field that they approach you differently. They act differently. You can get different stuff from them mm-hmm. instead of like, oh, you're just a North American. Right. Even, yeah. So that's pretty much it. So I finished my training, come home. For the next few years, I pick up a leopard qualification, which is a tank. Okay. So What's it called? Na- leopard. Leopard. Yeah, like leopard the... is a tank, okay. main battle tank. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm a tank mechanic. Right? Okay. Yeah. So I get posted to Lord Sarconas, which is an armored unit. Okay. And as soon as I come in, they're like, boom, you're going on tour. You're going. Right. One, 108 wow. in Afghanistan. And this is a height of... Kandahar, mm. everything is just it's chaos. rolling, chaos, yeah. right? Taliban is everywhere. So I get posted. Uh, and how do you feel at this point about going back? At this, Again, once again, it's kind of that you're excited. You right. want to go with the guys. You want to do the job. You want to do, you know, extra money is good. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say that like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like you, at the time that wasn't the non-tax. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, extra money is good. You wanna you wanna do what you kind of joined the military for, uh, yeah. So we go. Uh, I'm a little bit late, so and this is another story. It was like uh, my father just died. I was in Germany, so they mm. sent us Germany to learn this new tank. Uh, so we just bought the German tank Leopard yeah. Two. We're in close to Munich, 
I believe, Bad Arison was a, was a place. And we spent three months there. They trained us on a new tank. It was uh, probably the best military uh, experience I've ever had because mm. it was a five-star hotel. They oh, treated yeah. us like kings because they literally sold them. This tank has never been proven in the desert, and that's what separates them from Abram tank to be the greatest tank in the world. Mm. So now, because we're going to Afghanistan, they want to deploy these tanks and see how it's going to do. So it's a big marketing ploy, right, I would say, right. by the company, by Germans, to get this tank out and uh, to prove in the world that this is the greatest tank. Right. And then if they do that, man, the business is yeah, selling off, offline, yeah. right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to lose itself. So yeah, we I go... Halfway through it, my father dies from cancer. Literally goes to hospital and dies. So I come back. We uh, cremate him. I go back to Germany again. Mm-hmm. So I'm already a little, you know, unease. Mm-hmm. I start thinking, should I really go to this? Like, no, it's still a duty. I come home. Uh, we're just getting ready to deploy. My mother goes to hospital. She had a stroke, so half of her body is paralyzed. Oh my gosh! So. I deal with this. I'm late. My guys deploy. I'm going to be late for compassionate reasons for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I go to my CEO and said, listen, like, sir, I don't, I don't think this is a good time for mm-hmm. me to go. Uh, and they send me to like a mental health mm-hmm. and that the civilians are like, absolutely not. Right. You shouldn't be going anywhere. Yeah. Like you lost both, almost losing both of your parents. Mm-hmm. This is not a great time. And I go back to the CEO and CEO says, listen, man. You're one of the few, uh, so I'll give you the choice. You want to be voluntold or vol- volunteer for this? And I remember just saying, fuck, I guess I volunteer for it. <laughs> wow. Off I go. Two days later, I'm oh. in Afghanistan again. Wow. Right? But now, I mean, emotionally, I am not there, which mm-hmm. is, I, I learned, this is where you learn. I think this is a big, crucial part of of growing up as a person. You, you learn from these experiences that are chaotic I'm not emotionally stable mm-hmm. because I lost both my parents. I feel bitter that they just yeah. you know, literally took me and sent me. Especially after the, the mental health professional I, yeah, told you not I, to like, go. I, I'm thinking all these things. In a retrospect, maybe I should do this. No, in retrospect, this is a learning curve. I've never been in this situation mm-hmm. with losing both parents. And so uh, we had a mission that we have to go to Red Desert and it's we have this armored asset so i i'm the only one qualified on the base like the fa- the actual uh the actual calf which is like a giant super base mm-hmm. so there's a i'm qualified this armored tank but it's not the armor it's a recovery vehicle uh instead of a main gun it has a crane it has a blade I so see. what it does it recovers other tanks when they break down they I can see. do the work pull the engines everything can be done with this vehicle so i'm the only one qualified to drive this vehicle but the problem with this vehicle the driver got killed like six months ago and there's like a <laughs> that it's one of those lucky shot recordless rifle went down to the bolt of the iron armor and killed him in his seat literally really like, you got a projectile through your body Oh. So he dies. So Nathan Hornberg, I'm sure if you Google it, you'll find. So this thing is welded, right? It's that the hole is welded on. They like put wow. this thing hasn't been out of the compound in, I think, two years. Uh, I don't even have tools for the track to, to anything. Mm. So I, I'm now under different command until I deploy with my troops over there. Uh, but they get this great idea that 
the one of the British recovery vehicles is stuck uh, like in a desert, like 30 kilometers south of the super base. Mm-hmm. But they're again constantly mortared by Taliban. Mm-hmm. So and they can't recover this vehicle. So I'm going to go take the tank with special SAS, special forces. Yeah. Through this desert. Yeah. Recover this vehicle and come back. Well, usually you cannot send tank by the SOPs. You cannot send the tank with the tank without the other tank because if one breaks down, the other one kind of tows it. I see. So nothing can tow tow this forty ton vehicle. Mm. So, and I was asking, is is my squadron going to come back and we're going to go get it? They're like, no, just by yourself and these small like BB two or sixes, which is like a snowmobile kind of not really snowmobile but like uh built for snow mm. but special forces are using it because you can get over like a dunes and stuff right that's the only thing available at the time so so we go right off we go and i if i throw a track we're done because it's easy to throw the track of a tank in the sand because it gets packed I underneath see, yeah, and yeah. it gets thrown and then we're done i mean because you have no nothing, backup no. tank so and, what yeah. is the plan i remember they give me the orders and I don't feel comfortable, mm-hmm. right? And in the true fashion, because I'm unstable too at right. this time, I go back in the conference room and these are all senior officers and the guys who make big decisions. Mm-hmm. I go, listen, I send my kid to the school. He comes home, we're not at home. He knows where his spare keys is. Right. What is my contingency plan mm-hmm. if I get stuck or hit the IED? They're like, oh, there is none. So what, what are you going to blow it out of the sky yeah. if we have to? You're going to ask, so you're willing to lose this only asset that you have for this? Yeah. And then they're like, so we come, everything went fine. Everything is good. I come back. They wrote me a, like a warning, right? You know, no. I'm not allowed to leave the, the calf or whatever, the, the calf at the time for three months. So they wanted to hang on to me so I can do all the work mm. in literally. So they kind of disconnected me from the squadron and I never actually made it up with the squadron anyway. I did for a few runs, Yeah, but that's about it. So, so they, it was a punishment? It was for, a punishment. For you for uh, me questioning that, the chain yeah, of command? Questioning, yeah. And at the time, yeah, that, that also makes it bitter. Like now I'm, I'm really bitter through all the, that right. whole experience is literally bitter. But you know, I still do my job. Mm-hmm. I still do mm-hmm. the things. Uh, I got, we got blown up on one of them. We, I went out on a, like a clip, which is supplying some add-on armor to a FOB, which is forward operating base. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was sitting in a, in a truck and just I didn't even have my helmet on. I was listening to Rage Against Machine, <laughs> calm like a bomb. I remember, really? calm like a bomb, sitting. And all I remember is, just like a somebody, driver hit the big bump. Like if you right. hit your car at 60 kilometers an hour in a bump, like yeah. a speed bump, yeah. and you like, yeah. and I'm like, hey man, like, did you hit the bump? He's like, no, I didn't. What the fuck? And he just see the flames. No. So we rolled over IED, he detonated it, and he just pushed us, kind of lifted us and pushed us over and slammed us onto the thing. So now you look out and it's like a mini swimming pool. I come out and I remember being so upset, like pissed off. There's actually somebody tried to physically kill me. Yeah. Right. And then sit there for like a whole day. Well, it was half a day to engineers to clear everything. And then we can proceed. 
uh, I think we had to change a tire or something like that. It wasn't really much damaging, yeah. but it, like second earlier, we all be dead. Wow. So, any any injuries or no? Nobody was in between. Jeez. In between. And same thing, like uh, on those tours, like uh, BPS is uh, another thing that we do. So if we encounter culvert, yeah, uh, we have to kind of walk, make sure there is nothing in the culvert mm -hmm. so we can roll the convoy through. Mm. And remember, on one of the convoys too, they were like, uh, "Oh, you're just gonna be uh, like a passenger in a truck, so don't worry." I go infantry is like, "Uh-uh, dude, you look like you're fit. Mm. You're with the infantry section. We lack people." So now I'm in the infantry section, and then uh, they're like, how's your VPS, which is that. I'm like, oh, I've just done a theoretical part. Mm -hmm, like We just mm -hmm. did it. For, I, as an ARV driver or a, a driver at the time, I was like, I've never thought I was ever going to do this. Right. Guess what? You're far left. You're looking in the culverts. So we're looking like it's pretty eerie looking for an IED. Mm-hmm. So you, your SOP is to walk on the side of the road. You look for these entrails. Right. So entrail is like, remember, if you look at the Bugs Bunny, and when he right, goes yeah. underneath, and you see the little mount, and that's how they like hide the wire right. underneath. So this is what you're stepping on. And, I mean, if you if you find the damn thing, you're probably parallel right. with the IDs, <laughs> yeah. and you're probably dead. Wow. So, and you have to I remember, first time looking at the culvert, and I'm like, how am I going to do this? I don't, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, clear. Thank God. It's like, okay, mount up. 20 meters later, another culvert. Get out. Really? Do the same. So I think this thing like took like four hours in a beating sun. And you just like, everything seems eerie. By the end, was like, do you want me to just run up and get it over right, with? Because right. I'm, I'm tired. Yeah, being yeah. fully kitted and doing <laughs> stuff. So that that's how the tour went. I mean, nothing major besides obviously that. And I came back home. Again, same thing. This time, except we went to Cyprus for mm. decompression. Right. So you get to pick activities like scuba diving, you know, mm. golfing, whatever. It's all provided by the thing. You spend three days. You eat some good food. You know, you're on a beach. It's kind of a surreal what you just went through to be right. put in the, like, normality and then yeah. gone home. And, yeah, once again, that's it, right? So I come home again. Same thing. Six months. Just do my thing. Now the different squadron is deploying and I'm not in line. Thank like I don't want. So we go to the field for their primal preparation and a sergeant major watched me do some work outside of the box, mm -hmm. like a hot wiring car to start it. Right. And and he's like, Man, you seem like you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And their master corporal, their and now I'm at rank of master corporal, their master corporal is totally not good mm. so they fire him and they call me and said listen you're coming with us really off i go 110 and now, sorry master corporal is what like so a, it's a third level so corp uh private corporal master corporal okay so it's a point and, of and so now do you have responsibility so over now i have a point responsibility for others now i'm a commander of the tank now i'm not I anymore see. a driver now i'm a commanding of the army mm. that is my job in afghanistan now to command this thing so you didn't want to go you weren't in line to go and then you're hot wiring a car uh for whatever reason yeah. and somebody sees you and they go hey uh shitty <laughs> yeah. guy you're fired yeah. you're literally in. that's how it was wow. yeah because i had the reputation in in strats as well i went through three ranks levels in strats and usually, you're not even supposed to go to one. It's supposed to be like three, four. I stayed seven years because mm -hmm. I was good at, at what, what they needed to. Yeah. Plus, I was like soccer, like 
they never won anything until I came around with soccer and we won everything. Right. So the CEOs loved me for that reason. You know, I still did the job. I yeah. showed up. And I was very effective in a field where, where really they needed guys. And they would come to me and said, I don't care what you do. As long as my tanks are fixed, you can sleep. You can do whatever you right. want. We'll give you all the power. And as long as you, uh, you fix my tanks, we're good to go. So yeah. off you went for number three. I went to number three. And this time now, now I have people underneath mm -hmm. me. And uh, now it's a little different because it's a position of leadership. And I still brand new, I would say as a leadership, but brand new understanding what exactly is the responsibility or role. Because I listened. I was like, Sergeant Major, can I go with infantry on a patrol? They're like, no, man. Hmm. Are you crazy? It's like, if I lose you, I lose half of my tanks. Because if your tank doesn't rule a move, uh, then uh, I can't use half of my squadron because mm. you have to be there to yeah, recover yeah. it. And through that, that was actually a, a quite a quite a different tool. We got RPG, we got all sorts really? of stuff. To a point that you were like, uh, my my uh, uh, like I have a Gib. It's a, called Gib guy in the back. Yeah. So he's in the back hatch. So he, his job is to come out of a vehicle, hook up. To everything while I crew command the vehicle. I My see. job is to command the vehicle. He's the guy who's actually technical to get tell me, okay, uh, I think we need to tow it. I can fix it. Come out, fix it. Like all this right. stuff. So uh, to the point, like, I think there's a guy in a in a wall with the RPG. I'm like, I'm reading a book. Right. <laughs> and we're driving. I'm reading a book. Yeah, you got the Stephen and, uh, King and novel. I'm like, out. I don't even know what I was reading. And I'm like, <laughs> no, man, I'm pretty sure that guy is doing his garden. It's probably like a tiller that he has. Yeah. His, He's like, Jajar, I'm sure he has a, I'm sure he has an RPG. I'm like, who would fire at the, at the, like a column of armored like right, tanks? And, right. Like who would be crazy enough? Sure. As soon as I said it, you can hear that this thing this out, and just like, whoa! And I stand up, and it just slams in front of the other R, the other armored vehicle, no. like literally like 20 meters in front of us. I'm like, whoop! I guess that's the RPG. <laughs> oh. And then he's like, uh. And I look at them both. They're white, right? They're mm -hmm. we're in a tank. Like mm -hmm. RPG is not gonna do much right. against the tank. Yeah. So I just sit down and start reading the book again. They're like, "What is wrong with you? Are you gonna <laughs> load the gun?" I'm like, "What I'm supposed to do? There's tanks all around. Right. This. I'm, I'm my primary job is not to engage. Right. right. So I'm like, if it's a last resort, it's last resort. So I would just sit and they're like, "You're such a." asshole you know what i'm like why don't you go get us some snacks from the back like from the back i'm not coming out of the vehicle i'm not coming out of the vehicle and then and that was i think the only night i've ever slept in my full armor outside oh really like, literally fully kitted wow. like i was like, like so what did you do with crazy. it what is an rpg it's, it's what is that rocket propelled rocket propelled grenade a grenade yeah. okay and it didn't do much to the tank in front of you no of no it just landed in front right, right. and so what what so what did you do with the guy? Like the guy that shot it. So did the, you... the engage, tank engagement. Tank right? engagement. Yeah. So... At, at the time, at the first couple of tours, we had a liberal engagement. If the guy looked at us funny, we have a authority can... to kill. Yeah. And, and this time was very water. You had to like uh, tell zero, which is a command. They would have to make a decision. So when that thing relayed back, it would be like five minutes later, a guy's gone. Right? Oh, really? So you had to really be like, so he probably was gone. I think they engaged him with like a machine gun, yeah. but he was way too far. Oh, I yeah. It was like 700 meters. So like your first couple tours, it was more, 
you could just make decisions about engaging yeah, without having yeah, to have without exactly go yeah. through the bureaucracy. But then we had to become like yeah. I, I I don't I don't know what happened, but I'm pretty sure something did happen to, it, for us to tell back like listen we we can't be wild west anymore. yeah yeah exactly because like even the i read the book about blackwater and the battle of fallujah and all the contracts yeah, yeah, so in the states well, did you th- work those with- those things will come up and soon and it's so oh, oh, okay yeah. so okay okay because that was a that book was wild um so now so that's your third tour and so you got the rpg any other action? Um, there, there's yeah, there's other things I've watched. That literally, one of the labs get blown up in front of like maybe 300 meters. Uh, it hit the IED, and you see the hood fly 200 meters. The wheels fly off. We couldn't find the wheels. Really? That the driver just lost half of his leg. Oh my god! So he god. got to have medivac. And that's as a funny story. I had like uh, we're recovering this vehicle, so I'm putting the safe frame. Like if you think of it, th- being a tank mechanic. Think of a world's biggest gym. Everything is 100 pounds and heavier. Mm-hmm. I had two hernias because of tanks. Because oh, wow. everything is super heavy. Yeah. So you have to put this A-frame to, to hook up to the tank. But the driver did not listen to the guy who was guiding him. Mm-hmm. And instead of him turning left, it reversed. And as I'm holding this A-frame, he hit me with a tank in the shoulder. And literally cleaned my shoulder, dislocated it. Wow. Right. So I finished the job. And I don't feel good because I can't raise my arm maybe I don't know, not much. So I go to the medics and they're like, oh, it's dislocated. Uh, you got to go to the hospital. So now I'm sitting in this like a bison ambulance, which is armored vehicle ambulance, with these guys that just got blown up. I'm dislocated shoulder. Mm-hmm. This is all eerie, right? Like mm-hmm. it, It's very quiet. These guys are shocked. You can mm-hmm. see some of the, I think the crew commander lost some teeth because he bit on the hatch. It's just... A miserable experience. Mm-hmm. We're going over. They drop us off. I go to them. They're like, why are you here? You got blown up? I'm like, no, I got hit by a tank. They're like, oh, my, what? <laughs> okay. So, like, do you want me to put it to put it back? I'm like, yeah. So, do you want me to put while you're awake? Or I'm like, try awake. As soon as he touches my arm, I'm like, no, man, put me under. Uh-huh. So, he put me under for five minutes. I guess the muscles relax enough for him to pop it. Yeah. So, I get up, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's, like, it's not that bad. I can... All right. Yeah. So I'm like, so what now? Oh, you're going to wait for a chopper. He's going to evacuate you back to your base. I'm like, what about the squadron? Well, your squadron is going to have to do the mission without you. So I feel bad. Right. So, and I see that other armored vehicle is bringing this thing that we just hooked up on and dropping it in the same fob. Mm-hmm. So I ask him, can I go with them? And they're like, absolutely not. That's not how it works, mm-hmm. right? You're under medical restrictions. Right. Not. So I'm like, oh, where's your fridge? Uh, outside. So I pick up my gear. I fucking jump in the other thing. Yeah. And the crew commands like, Jajar, man, I, ca- I can't. Like, yeah, can't yeah. Take- I'm like, you're going to fucking take me. And so <laughs> off we go, right? Really? I arrive back. They're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm not, I just want to be with my crew, right? Right. And I spent, I remember just next, I think we spent three weeks out. And I was just like being miserable. I'm oh, like, yeah. I could have been sleeping in the bed. <laughs> I'm here sleeping in the sandbox because we dig a, like a shell scrape with a blade. Yeah. And it's literally sleeping in a grave. Really? So you just sleep there and it's... Just like, in sand. Yeah, just, just in, in sand. sand. Yeah, for three weeks on. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Is that, do you have a tough time sleeping? Because like, are you around any potential um, 
Taliban or any. Yeah, so it's called the Ring of Steel. So all the armored vehicles are on the outside. Oh, I see. And, and so they're you're protecting in... your inside. So we're inside. I see. Uh, and then we all like we do the mechanic work. Whoever needs the repairs, mm-hmm. uh, that's and we do inside kind of security. They do the outside. I, oh, okay. And then they launch whatever they need to right. do from there. And so at this point, when you're on, are, this is your third tour now. Do you, do you think much about like what you're doing there and like what the what the mission is? Does that come into your mind? So it doesn't. And I'm one of the few. I'm very hard to find people who can relate with me i really i'm there for purpose right i, I don't really question higher right. purpose because we're there to do something right if i start questioning everything is going to get unraveled yes then what i'm doing is i'm, I'm spreading the panic in, mm. in a man so if i'm starting to affect the below and above with my attitude of why are we here what the hell is i mean we're all do through that like why am i here when something bad happens right you all question but you cannot because you still have to be the beacon of like, listen, we're here for this. You sign up for this, mm-hmm. for this amount of time, to that amount of time. Whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. All I want you, I want you all to go home mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. That's my job. And that is all I care about. Like all my guys can return safe. Yeah. And that's what whatever the mission is. I don't know because I'm not at that level. Right. And I understood that as we went on and on because you're going to see in the tours when I started guarding generals or in decision of yeah. everything. Now I start to understand the higher purpose of all this. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to understand how this all works. But at that time, you, you cannot really question because you're mm-hmm. going to unravel the whole situation. Yeah, yeah, T- oh, totally. So, but was generally speaking, were people becoming cynical like in the... So you go through F- that bitterness. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So even the soldiers become, yeah. they start questioning, why am I here? Right. Like you, you are still like 24-7. There's no days off. There's mm-hmm. no such mm-hmm. thing, right? And I'm... Sometimes I like, I remember I stole a, f- I didn't steal a fridge. I took a fridge from my sergeant's office. Mm-hmm. It was a small like fridge. I hot wired it to a tank batteries mm-hmm. and I s- took a whole bunch of ice cream mm-hmm. and shoved it in a freezer. Mm-hmm. And we're on a mission two weeks into it and we're just eating rations. But me and the boys are eating ice cream. <laughs> Every day, I, we're sick of these bounty bars. Right, I'm sick right. of it. So I'm like, man. So I go to CO's commanding officer's tank. Or OCO was like a squadron. And he's like, uh, so I bring him like for his crew. He's like, where'd you get ice cream? Man? I'm like, ah, I stole a fridge and got some ice cream. Uh, I had him for last two. Give me that. Like, get off my <laughs> So I was feeding people ice cream. But all those small things oh, yeah, that was... make everything better, mm-hmm. it's, it's what makes it worthwhile. And all these kind of anecdotic stories, it's what makes it all. You're all going to remember. You're all mm-hmm. going to remember bad times too, but you're going to remember very funny times yeah. when you like somebody screwed up so bad. I remember on the first tour, because English is not my first language. Right. So we needed to drain the hull of an of a armored vehicle. It's full of oil. So, of course, the guys are guys. Mm-hmm. Like, what else? So they sent me to look for fallopian tube. Mm. <laughs> so I was looking all over the base for fallopian tube for half a day. Well, they were dying laughing, right? And, they, and they, everybody played along. Right, right? Go right. here, go there, right. go yeah, there. So yeah. I was looking for fallopian tube. So you're thinking yeah. that's a, that's a and piece. And I, I learned a new new word that day. <laughs> Anatomy 101 right there. Yeah. So uh, anything else you've finished should we should we get off the third tour or is it, 
Nothing really majorly. I mean, we did a whole bunch of ops, a yeah. whole bunch of weird, almost stepped on the IEDs kind of uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't really know. Like, these guys are very creative. you got to give them. They'll kill. If you're throwing off the batteries, those batteries are coming back to your face. They're mm. going to rig something up and kill you with it wow. because they're that creative. So yeah. you have to, like, really be secretive about, uh, like, what are you throwing? You cannot throw any, like you have to burn all the documents because they're going to find them in the garbage. They go to garbage, really? pick up as soon as you find out your address. You don't want to mm. give any of that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because they are very, like, think these guys are like, I, I, I can't, like the resilience that they have is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Like the, the only thing clean on him is probably his weapon. I mm. think that that's yeah. about the only yeah. thing. <laughs> literally the labs was scanned with a thermal imagery and there'll be nothing, and all of a sudden, scan back, there's a guy with the RPG because he's hiding under right. the heavy rug, yeah. and you can't pick him up. As soon as he drops that weapon, you cannot engage him because uh, it's a murder. It's a murder. You, you cannot uh, engage. Even though you know he just shot that thing. Right, right. And as soon as he physically drops it, you cannot engage him. Huh. So they were smart. At the time, they figured out that I can empty a mag and just drop the weapon and run away. Nobody will shoot me. Uh, yeah, so... So the so two tours you had to go on were unexpected, right? The, well, the, the second, third, the, that third the one, third was, one unexpected. was unexpected. And so you come back home, and what happens next? So I come back home and I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to be mechanic anymore. Right. That's, like if this is gonna be a revolving door of things, well, this is a hard thing, like hard, hard for everything, because. I've always been athletic. Well, maybe I'll try special forces mm -hmm. of something. So now I have a choice of different things. I can do JTF. I can do CSOR. And, and explain what these things are. So JTF is the top tier of our special forces. Okay. Uh, it's very, the, the selection is very grueling. What, what uh, would that be equivalent to in the United States? They're, they're uh, what's this called? Navy SEALs. Navy but SEALs not really, yeah. not really Navy SEALs because I don't know if they deal with Navy kind of thing. Right. But right. similar yeah, yeah, to yeah, that high yeah. tier right. of the special force. CSOR is more of a medium tier. Okay. Uh, so they're the kind of a grunt work, but it's still special forces. Yeah. They, so should I go that? And somebody comes across close protection, right? So close protection, what's close protection? Well, you know, you're a bodyguard. Mm -hmm. Sure, let's let's try this. Right. So I submit, they come back to me uh, and they, okay, so you have a selection. I remember I just finished, we had a regionals in soccer. It was in Winnipeg, we won. And we need to go to nationals in, in Borden. But my selection date is the same time as the nationals. No. Now I'm like, ah, I just want to go. But it's week after I just finished this tournament. So I'm already sore. Right. But not realizing, like, I am the kind of a guy. Like, we went did the death race. Yeah. And I didn't train at all. I just showed up. Yeah. Killed myself. I couldn't walk for four days. And yeah. then, like, I don't even just, right. just do it. Yeah. So I show up to this thing. And I honestly don't even know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Like, like, first of all, I didn't even research it to right. tell you the truth. Right, right. I just showed up. There's 30 guys. Selection will start. They fly us to uh, Victoria. Uh, the selection starts at 4 o'clock. Uh, so, like, everybody's friendly. Uh, so, 4 o'clock, what happens? You get this penny. I was number 16 out of 20 of us. Okay. And the, <laughs> it goes downhill from there no i wouldn't say downhill right. but the selection starts and it's very grueling and what do you mean so you get number 16 out of 20 what does that mean and i'm not referred by my name 
I'm oh. just referred as a number. I see. Okay. There's no whatever so and so you 16 right. you're screwing up 16 you're not good enough right so so it's first it's first mentally they'll physically break you down yeah so put you all these they have stress positions so like a all the way in a push-up or all the way down in a squat yeah. and they leave you there for minutes yeah so like maybe at the first it's not gonna be that damaging but over the time right man you can't even walk up the stairs and this is 24 like the exact uh, i think it was five days uh, and it was 24-7, really? literally. There was no breaks. You get low. Like, we were solving algebra at 3 in the morning after not sleeping. Oh, really? I don't know, 60 hours. Wow. So, And how many people were getting selected out of that group So of I think 20? out of all of us, out of 20, I think two of us got selected. Two. And you were one of them. I was one of them, yeah. Wow. Because I always start slow because I always feel like I was, uh, I was not uh, – I wouldn't say up to, like, I'm always felt intimidated by, like, uh, infantry guys who were a little bit fitter, maybe, mm-hmm. like, just scarier. Or, but then I figure out that I'm much smarter than these guys, and I've, that's where it's all about. And I figure out in the whole life that if you can lower your heart rate and tick critically mm-hmm. in the critical situations, you're golden. Mm. You're golden all the time. Make critical situations like 180 minus your age. If you can lower below it, mm-hmm. then you're golden. You can make critical. But as soon as you start pumping adrenaline, since you're pumping, then all that cortisol yeah. makes you primal. Mm. Once you're primal, you cannot make right decisions. Mm. I wouldn't say we make right decisions, but you can't cognizantly. Right, think. right. So, so you, you get selected. So I get selected, and you know what? Happy. So off, off we go to black, formal black water. So I go down to Mayock, which is North Carolina. Now it's called Academy. But these oh, are the guys. Was that the private facility yeah, that so was run by guys, Blackwater? Right? Yeah. And, so um, it's two months. The main course, it's it's very, very hard. You did that uh, course, yeah. eh? the Blackwater so training yep. course. Wow. So now it's this is very hard. It's challenging. It's a lot of shooting, a lot of transition. You're shooting a lot of rounds. Um, with the guys who are, think about it, best of the best. Yeah. We've been all selected to sit certain selections. Now we're all together. Well, you know you're not going to take everybody. So, yeah. again, 20 dudes. I think we finished with 12. Eight failed to failures of something. Yeah. Uh, so, once again, I start off like – and I'm I'm off the wall usually. I'm, I start off like I think on a – I wouldn't say wrong note, but <laughs> – it's really wrong note, but I was making fun of the staff right. day one. And they're like – what is wrong with this guy? Like nobody <laughs> comes here and makes fun of him. Oh, right. Whatever. So I remember that first week we just finished some shooting. We go. It's bones called in. A, it's like Boston pizza. Okay. And there's like 20 of us sitting in this giant table. Somebody orders a salad. Nobody wants to admit that they order salad. Right. Well, by chance there's an instructor sitting on a bar. Yeah. And he's a big of a heftier guy. He was ex. I think. Navy SEAL or, or something very high. Yeah. But now he's teaching these courses, right? That's his job. Uh, so I'm like, hey, waitress, why don't you uh, give that guy a salad, right? So mm-hmm. she brings it to him and she, he's like, and turns around and they all point at me. <laughs> right? I thought it was funny. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't find it funny. I don't think any normal human being would find yeah, it funny. Yeah. If you're a bigger guy and yeah. somebody gives you a salad, yeah. there's a good... So... He made my week a living hell. Really? Every time we would enter the room, I would get shot. No matter what pattern I entered, 
I'm the only one with a paint paint marks on me and just like bruises. Really? Because they would make me. There was a whiteboard before it, and there was a saying like, "I'm a sofa king." And like a so fucking retarded. I had to read, I'm so fucking retarded, and then enter. And really? then get shot and come out. <laughs> what are they shooting you with? Like So they, they had paint, the, pay, the actors that had paintball guns. Yeah. And uh, we had some munition. But paintball guns, for me, I think they were turned to the max. Oh, yeah, yeah. I felt them. <laughs> but the, so why um, the, the Canadian Armed Forces... So they obviously contracted out Blackwater to use their facilities. Yeah, so for that course, because uh, they have like a training, running track, uh, vehicle track. They yeah. can drive vehicles around. Okay. They have everything set up and it's cheaper. We didn't have any facilities up here. Mm. And plus during like a winter time, it's obviously warmer down there. So you can, you can, uh, you can do right. these courses inside. Did you think much about um, private contractors? in afghanistan like was that a topic of conversation because obviously it was a big yeah so they were like yeah they were going through all that uh at the time i mean i think i think it just ended up that they just went through uh whatever they did in in uh, iraq yeah for uh atrocity that they did uh yeah but not really like they do train a lot of foreign nations in there it's like I, I call it redneck playground right. <laughs> because it is. Yeah, it's like yeah. Canada's wonderland for yeah, guns. Right. I mean, the, the range is everywhere. You can shoot the cars. You can whatever you want. It's there yeah. for that kind of simulation. And they have obviously the, the most experienced people that done these things right. in Afghanistan, Iraq, yeah. all these different. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, theaters of war right so they're very experienced they know what they're talking yeah. about and like when i come in i come as a clean slate at that kind of high tier level yeah so it, for me it's a little bit easier because i've never used that type of pistol i've used a gun but not at that mm -hmm. profession like that now i'm surgical with these weapons right because they made me in, into that they that, did, all yeah. that practice all that accident in, inside vehicle, protecting the VIPs and all that stuff. Oh. They they embedded that. Wow. Then we have a, like a three week course where we drive cars like retarded, like crashing, yeah. spinning people, shooting out of the cars. Like even that that comes very handy. For example, everyday driving, mm. you know how to scan, you know how to right. look. You you're not afraid of your driving, you're afraid of more of a guy next mm -hmm. to you driving. Mm -hmm. Then is he coming into your lane? I mean that. Oh, I think it's a great. It's called above and beyond driving okay so it that's what's the course were called. you good with guns before you got there like are, so how, i how i personally never hold guns yeah i i couldn't care less about guns yeah but i'm always because i'm athletic mm -hmm. it, i think that plays in a big part of everything when yeah. it comes to anything you, you give me a ball you give me a gun it's the same thing i can manipulate that weapon as long as I can figure out how to manipulate it as fast as I can, I can I can do whatever I want. Mm. So you whatever. became yeah, pretty good I, pretty I, fast. Exactly. So, yeah. So we go through this. Uh, so at the end, this course is kind of designed that you pass the final exercise, or you think you pass the final exercise. You don't know anything until mm. you have to sit down with these four guys. So two American instructors and two Canadian instructors and they're going to deliberate your whole course if you didn't fail to that point because mm. there's critical failures of like uh, one strike two strike three strike so we all had to have our packs ba uh, bags packed every day because mm -hmm. it's the third strike 
they literally give you a ticket, off you go. Wow. They drive it to the airport, go back home. Mm-hmm. You didn't pass this mm-hmm. course. So now I go to this room, sit down, and remember them like Jar Jar. So we didn't know if you are uh, didn't want to be here or you were retarded <laughs> when, when you came here. Nobody makes fun of instructors. Mm-hmm. And like, and then we just figure out it's just the way you are. Mm-hmm. Like you're off the wall. Everybody seems to like you. So every time one syndicate lost people, I was the guy who shipped him from left to right, like mm-hmm. from one to another. Right. Because they didn't want to like, oh, do you want that guy? I don't want that guy. Or I don't want to give you this guy. He's very good. I, I want to keep him. And I was the guy who everybody likes. So I ended up going between. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You can employ me in any position. Yeah. And, uh, I'll, I'll do the stuff. And then I passed it, right? Wow. As soon as I passed it, the mission comes, right? You're going to go to Afghanistan, be a... Uh, Major General Milner's protective mm. detail. So we'll go to the fourth tour, 2013. Uh, Major General Milner was in charge of uh, Afghanistan training. It's the whole thing. Once uh, all this fighting stopped, it was in designed to like train all the Afghan forces. Okay, yeah. So he was up in. Uh, we were up in Kabul with him, uh, and that man was busy nonstop. Really. And I, I forged, I think, great relationship that he actually called me on the last tour and wanted to talk to me. Mm. And still to this day, though. And I was off a wall with him. And he's a two-star general. I'm a master corporal right, still at the right. time. And that, that, that like a team leader said, listen, man, I will never have you in the same car as a general because you turn him into a kid. <laughs> and once he turns into a kid, how can I? Like, it's right, not how it is. Right, right. So I remember after Christmas, he hands me the keys to a limo. I'm like, what is this? It's like you're driving. I'm like, why? It's like, uh, because you requested for the next three weeks that you drive. Him. Really? So I come in, pick him up, like with the bodyguard. And he's like, ah, Jaja, I have you. <laughs> and then it's like, is it turned into kids, right? Yeah. And nobody wants to be a limo driver too. Right. Because it's like, you need to know where to go. There's no music. You cannot talk. Mm-hmm. The general is in the back. Like it's very. You need to be right at the time. You cannot be late. You have to be proper. I've done that. That that we call the like a chase vehicle. It's literally like clown car. Mm-hmm. It's like full of goons. That's mm-hmm. how we call it. We, if something happens, we're the one dispersing. Right. Right. And usually I'm in there because I'm like a Swiss Army knife because right. I'm a mechanic. If something breaks down, I can go fix it. I speak languages. I can do this. I mean, on that tour, I ended up getting a speed ticket in Afghanistan. Oh, really? <laughs> I think the only guy, but like, a, I think, uh, who gave me? Like, a, I think there were Romanians or something. Okay. We were pulling out of the airport, and he stops me, and the like, a motorcade keeps going. It's like, do you know how, how fast were you going? In like a broken English. I'm like, I don't know, 20, 30. I'm like, and? It's 15 speed limit. I'm like, oh. so I'm thinking, if I start talking to him in Romania, he's probably going to forget about this. Yeah. No, he actually becomes worse. Really? He's like, I want to see your live license. I want to see your permits, whatever. So I give him all, and he writes me a ticket. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> give it to your boss. And he, he deems that you, he's going to probably take your license away. So I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to go to general. And yeah. we're going to like a chow hall. And he's there, and he's just slow clapping, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he loves it, eh? I'm like, oh, sir, this is for you. And he's like, <laughs> just crumples it up and throws it. And I didn't think you were driving that fast. <laughs> so I have always had a great, like, because I was a, uh, I'm that kind of a guy who's, like, very personal. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, they always can come and talk about anything. And that's, I think, with those tours, I always had a great reputation in that being off the wall. <laughs> I mean, it is off the wall. Yeah. And so how many um, VIPs did you bodyguard for? So you have always, like, if General deems that so-and-so needs to get somewhere, you have to take him, right? You have to scout. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are all the missions, right? You have to create your own mission. You have to create your own, uh, like, uh, there's nobody coming get you. Right. You're on your own with your right. team. So you got to be very careful in designing. You have to advance it. You got to know where to go. You have to drive it. So you are very familiar with every street because there's no such thing as, like, GPS it. Right. Like, turn left. No, yeah, yeah. that's not happening. And even if it was, it would never be because then – what would you show your VIP? Like, you don't know what you're doing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, turn left. Oh, I thought it was this left. Like, <laughs> like an idiot. Right. So you, you can't do that. So you got to so. be all pre, prepared. Right. And, you have to yeah. be always prepared. Yeah. So it's, it takes a lot of time to get to that point of like advancing to a venue. So when you get to the gate, the gate is actually opens. Nobody waits outside. Because mm-hmm. once you start waiting, then you become a target. Mm-hmm. You don't want anybody. So then the secrecy of it is big. Because you don't want anybody to know the VIP is coming. Because mm-hmm. of course it's going to be a target. Mm. So there's a lot of a lot of that with him. Is like, and he was like one of those gunk ho guys. Is like, just give me a gun, I'll I'll do it. Like the, one of those guys. I think he he went to Kandahar on one of his tour and wanted to walk down the Kandahar city without his body armor, because he wanted to prove that. He, we're not afraid of Taliban, mm-hmm. and they're like, General Soro, it's yeah. not a great idea, right? And he's like, I remember. Like driving, and it's like pull over. I'm like, uh, sir, for what? I want to buy some pomegranates. <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, I can just ask, like, a local workers to bring you some pomegranates. <laughs> no, those are not fresh. I want my own pomegranates. <laughs> so yeah, I have to argue with him. With and bodyguard is like, uh, uh, he wants to pull over uh, to buy some pomegranates, and you can hear the absolutely not. Like absolutely, <laughs> what are you? I'm like, sir, what happens if somebody kills you outside right. buying a pomegranate? What is gonna like? Nobody will kill me, and then you have to like. It's like, right? Like handling it's a handling a child, a, a child in a yeah. bag, literally. Because when he gets something like sink he, his teeth into, yeah, he he's not it, let right? go, right? So did he get his pomegranate? No, no, we got him different way, oh, but it didn't stop outside the road. It's a, wow. And so, did you enjoy? That? So I enjoy that because it is kind of a glamorous. You, you walk around and like you're not uniformed. You you mm. you more wear tactical gear. Yeah. You have the army literally issues you a check for x amount of money and you go buy your own stuff whatever fits you. I so see. you're always like on a different. Your your guns are different. Your guns are camouflaged. Uh, you just look threatening. We go by three rules. Uh, look cool, and I think this is the rule for everybody in life. <laughs> So number one rule, look cool. If you look cool, if you look apart, then people around you start thinking that you're something. You can be the worst, but nobody will know Mm because you look cool. Mm -hmm. Second rule, know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know your job. And the third rule, if you don't know what you're doing, look cool. (laughs) Right? Once again, you look cool, you look. So the biggest thing that we found out in Afghanistan is like if they Taliban want to kill somebody, somebody dies that day. Now, don't be you. Mm. So how you deter these things is that way. If you look sharp coming out of the vehicle, then you're like, oh, that guy looks mean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do I really want to screw around with that guy? Or I want to find some guy who's unmotivated coming out of the vehicle. Oh, he's not going to give me a fight. Yeah. Perfect. Because everybody's like, 
eyes are always on you. Mm-hmm. These guys are always everywhere. I mean, the, I, I call the Afghanistan whole Taliban because they're all, nobody wants us there. Mm-hmm. Think about your different religion. They always talk about crusades. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're actually foreigner. Same somebody came over to us totally. and said to you, yeah. how do you live? Even if it was a better life, mm-hmm. you would still resent totally. it. You will never let that go. Mm-hmm. You will never mm-hmm. to the day you die because that's the way we are designed. And that same thing, no matter what you think, it's right. Maybe it's not right mm-hmm. for that guy mm-hmm. because he resents you already. Totally. So everybody, so that's why we found out that if somebody is going to be, it's like the guys drive the, like a stash full of uh, IEDs in a car and blow themselves up. I mean, cars end up on like three-story buildings. Wow. Like blown up. So it, they're, they're very creative and that, that, that rule applies all the time. So I'll give you like, this is how we, and this is all taught by like X Blackwater, whatever we call it now, it's Academy. Yeah. Those are the three rules. You trip over the curb and you trip and you notice we go down on one knee and you just spring up and you start looking around. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to notice and you're going to say, look at that class. Can you walk over there? <laughs> but if you tripped and you went down on one knee and grab your shoelaces right. and pretend that you're tying them, yeah. nobody will pick up that you just screwed up. Mm. So that is the key to everything in life. Because most sometimes I don't know to my troops what I'm doing. Right. But if I show that I don't know what I'm doing, they will not follow me. Right. But we just wing it sometimes. Yeah. And you're like, holy, like, yeah, I, I made this work without even knowing what's the end. Of, and they never understood. Right. I didn't know what they I was th- doing. They thought you had the plan all the time. I'm confident. I'm, yeah. I'm, I look that I know. I don't double guess myself. I don't judge. Like, yeah. I don't pass the judgment. It works. It works all the time. Yeah, I, I remember somebody say to me once, fake it till you make it. And that was the first 100%. time I heard that. The same thing is, well, I like yours better. Look cool, know what you're doing, and if you don't know what you're doing, look cool. Yep. <laughs> look cool. That's it. Three rules, golden rules. If anybody listens to this, yes. picks this, it's, yes. go to interview. If you look apart, you're dressed sharp, and the interview asks, hey, what is your end goal? I want to be in your position. Mm-hmm. And just confidently, not like, uh, uh, my resume is set. Like, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not. I, like, I wouldn't hire you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't. I can just feel your vibe right, right off the bat. Yeah. You're not confident. Then do I really know? But I know when the guys are like, even I have been with some, uh, like a multi-billion dollar, like a vice president and stuff. And that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I might not know about the business, but I can make everybody with a presence. Yes. Presence, authority, presence. Totally. The same as like a goalkeeper in, in, mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Once again, that presence, I think, affects the whole vibe of, uh, of things. Absolutely. So... So did you, you came back after that fourth tour and then, so talk about the final, final, the final nail in the coffin, the final (laughs) nail in the coffin. So yeah, once again, went back to work, did my whole thing. Uh, what was that? How did that spool about? Yeah. Somebody asked for me. So in the meantime, I ended up breaking my leg. Like we had a sports day and somebody hit me from behind and my head leg was 180 degrees. Like it was falling off. Yeah. And uh, I remember, like, shotgun blast, the here, like, fracture multiple bones, tore all my ligaments in the ankle. Uh, literally, it's hanging off. And I'm laying on the field. They're, like, stabilizing me. Uh, and somebody else in the back out of that old, like, guard of unmotivated people. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jaja, what are you going to do now? You're going to be one of us. Uh. And I remember that thing driving me. Mm. I couldn't sleep. 
And I go to hospital. Doctor said, well, I don't know how long. I don't know what kind of damage. And he does the thing. Uh, he comes back and says, listen, I don't know how well you healed. Year, two years, maybe you're never going to play again. Because mm-hmm. this is like catas- catastrophic. I had to put like a, I had to put like a plate, nine screws at a time uh, that stabilize your leg. Uh, so I remember them taking that surgical thing. It was like 40 staples. Wow. My leg is literally like Frankenstein, right? <laughs> and uh, so like, what now? Like, that was 2015. What now? I just broke my leg. Like, I can't. Like, if, if I quit now, nobody will say anything. Like, oh, what have you done? Like, mm-hmm. but no, this is not how I function. I right. never functioned that way. I always function to be above and beyond. And so five weeks into this, we have an inner, inner unit game, soccer. And I'm coaching. So I'm on crutches. I have this boot, yeah. that, that space boot on. And uh, we only have four players. We need five to start. Mm. And I go around asking people don't want to play, whatever. So I'm like, I'm going in net. <laughs> They're like, are you insane? So I put my gear on. I'm on one leg, literally on yeah. one leg standing in net. And the other guys are like airborne paratroopers. And they're like, oh, man, like what? what is, uh, what's wrong with you, man? Like, <laughs> we're going to kill you, first of all. Right. And we end up winning 6-3. And I think out of all wins that I've ever had in my life, that was the most satisfying. Oh, yeah. Now I, I'm driving home and I'm figuring out, man, maybe I can do this. Mm-hmm. So I go home, I tape my foot. And I go play Major League Masters. No. The next week. Next week. No. Major League Masters. I literally am on a toes, limping around. Like, I look like a, like I, but I want to play so bad. Well, it, well, it wasn't bad. Uh-huh. Terribly. But you know what? I can't use that leg. So right. I can just use it for a little bit of limp of support. So I played 20, I think 28 games before even, he has to take these stabilizer screws out. Right out of my so it's another surgery uh if these break he has to go back and surgery right. so yeah. I, I i'm playing with these things hoping i won't break them right in contact sport so i go to hospital laying with a gown and i have a whole bunch of those burn marks from the turf turf cuts mm-hmm. and the gown doesn't go past the knees and i'm trying to get it so he doesn't see it right and he goes what are these uh-huh. i'm like oh yeah i've been very clumsy uh <laughs> at home i've been falling all over the carpet uh, <laughs> burning myself and he just loses his mind he calls the like a physio up on a base and said what did you guys let him do play yeah. he's like oh he's just jajar he does whatever he wants right and as soon as those screws came out i went playing wow so back up so it literally if my range of motion of this ankle is the same as the range of motion on the other ankle because I didn't let it calcify. Mm-hmm. I didn't let it stiffen. I played right off the bat and saved my leg. Wow. And that was supposed to be, what What did the doctor say? A year? It's a year, two years. I played literally five weeks. Five weeks. Five and then weeks you never after. stopped playing. Never stopped playing. And Not you never even. broke a screw or anything nope. before? No, they took those two screws out. I played that night. Holy. I threw up the I threw up the anesthetic in the, in the garbage can in the indoor. Really? Yeah. I played that night. I said, listen, can I play tonight? I have a game at like... What is wrong with wow. you? Wow. Same thing. I had a, like a, so Bosnian dentistry wasn't the wizardry <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> and neither did I brush my teeth. Right. So most of my upper were like, uh, they gave me a partial. So in the, as it goes on, the partial keeps breaking, right? My contour of my mouth changes on the tours. I break a partial. I don't have a partial, mm. right? So finally here. They decide they're gonna do implants, right? That's right. another story. Uh, they won't 
they're like, it costs way too much money. You need right. 11 implants. So it's like, they give me a figure of like right. 150,000 or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't care. I, uh, whatever government prints money right like, listen i'm your employee like how many tours do you want me to do yeah, yeah and then they're like listen that's not how it works and i i said it was a, like a, it was like a waiting room and i, I didn't think i said it that loud <laughs> but i said it i was like so how many taliban do i have to kill or maybe i should take their teeth and start shoving them in my mouth and when i heard that everybody kind of turned and it was like i hear the footsteps on the back it's like a major and he comes in. It's like, what's the problem? So I explain to me. Mm -hmm. and he brings me to a chair. It's like, we start right now. Really? So that's how it was. So I had to have it like two surgery to get the, to get the bone graft done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm laying on a. So he needs to. It's a big surgery. So he's. I'm gonna be under three hours. It, this is at ten in the morning, and I'm like, uh, can I play tonight? <laughs> They're like, what? They're like, listen, you're not gonna be able to get out of bed. Like. No, no, no. Seriously, I can't play tonight. I, I, I just go to sleep. You yeah, can yeah, play yeah, tonight. Yeah. So I wake up and my mouth it's is swollen. like giant. I have stitches everywhere. So I'm like, oh, big game in a premier's men's. I, I can't. <laughs> so I go play. I'm not even allowed to drive a vehicle. Oh I gosh. go play. I get some Emerald exports. And they see me like I, I, I'm just standing in that. So a kickoff, he tries to chip me. <laughs> and I, I dive and I swatted right outside the post, but I land and my stitches break. So now it's like no. bleeding. Oh my the God. referee is asking, what's wrong with me? I'm like, nothing, man. I'm okay. <laughs> so I finished the game, whatever. Ended up 2-2. Two, two. Phone rings. It's the, it's the nurse. And she's like, uh, so I'm just checking up on you. How are you doing? I'm like, I just finished playing. She's like, what? I, I told you I'm going to go play. Yeah. She's like, are you serious? And then afterwards, they all wanted to take a pictures with me. Oh, really? like, this is the crazy army guy that does whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah every time. So your front, you have 11, uh, 11 are they veneers? Yeah. Is that what, or? No, the implants. It, oh, yeah, implants. Implant. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, why that's why your smile looks so good. Mm. $150,000. $150,000 smile. <laughs> they say that the biggest joke over there is saying some people drive Lamborghini, others have in their mouth. <laughs> Wow. And so you're how when did you go on your fifth tour? How long so after 2017. Okay. And this was as a bodyguard again? Yeah, for the ambassador for uh Kenneth Newfeld for uh ambassador in Afghanistan in Kabul. Okay. So he's the Canadian was, Canadian ambassador yeah. to Afghanistan. So now it's this is a little bit different than a general because he's an ambassador and now you have to deal with a civilian kind of staff right. plus he's a civilian as well. Yeah. So and plus, we're the only kind of uh, the only close protection army, close protection that's ever done. It's at this place in Afghanistan because it's such a high hot zone. Mm -hmm. that, like, mm -hmm. no, don't want to like uh, they want kind of the army to handle that, not to hire a contracting company or, yeah. or or somebody else. They want to have that kind of piece of a pie. So this guy is about, I think he was about 50, 50 something. And uh, like two weeks into it, he comes down and says, who plays tennis? And I'm like, uh, and they're like, none of the guys. They're all like CrossFit, right. lift weights. And I'm like, listen, I, I, I played as a kid. It's like, good. Tomorrow morning, uh, like 6 a.m. <sighs> okay, I'm like, sir, just letting you know, like, I hate losing. So you, yeah, I'm going to beat you. You're, right? you're not going to let him win. And he, 
he just laughs it off, yeah. right? He's been playing tennis for like 30 years, 40 right. years. Like, that's his thing, right? Yeah. So we come out and I beat him. <laughs> and he's like, tomorrow, seven o'clock. Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow. Six months of tomorrow. Really? Never beat me once. He used to be so angry. You go yell at his staff upstairs after we really? finish it. And they would come downstairs to me and says, please let him win. Right, right. Because he's like, he's just bitter. Right. I'm like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> and then, then it would be in like a mess hall eating. And it would be like, and I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Like, hey, so you talk about it, but Hey, sir, you're going to win tomorrow? <laughs> yes, I feel like, and he's yeah, always yeah. proper. Yes, I feel tomorrow is my day. <laughs> and I'm like, like, fuck you, Will. They ain't going to beat me in anything. <laughs> So, yeah, and that was his thing. He wanted to, like, his, because he works, like, he worked like a dog, literally. He would start at, like, 7, and he will finish at 8 o'clock at wow. night in his office. And you have all these meetings. So his thing was tennis. Like, he'd go play with the British uh, ambassador, mm-hmm. and he would play with the Indian ambassador, uh, whole different story on Friday. Our U.S. ambassador would go in the office, and they'll, like, they, they literally discuss business over tennis games. Right. And you'll be like... Imagine a guy fully geared with a pistol being a ball boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally a job, right? Serve. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, uh, uh, wow. And so you're on you're on call, but you're also being the ball boy. For, yeah, yeah, ball boy. Uh, ball wow. boy. He loved me for that. He always was uh, like, always talk. He would come in a vehicle and would talk about tennis or any sport event because you knew he can kind of vent right. out and, and, and do his stuff. And that's how I formed a bond. You always find a bond with somebody with something. Yeah. And usually for me, it's sports. Sport, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so so you, you do the five tours. And like, how, how do you reflect on your time there now? Do you think of it as, you know, those experience of a lifetime and you loved it or – you hated it. No, I loved it because you it. learned. You yeah. learned every every time, every different mission as you've seen. I learned something differently that made me what I am right mm-hmm. now. And I consider myself unbreakable mm-hmm. for that reason. Like, you can't stir me. You cannot, like, I don't care what people think of me. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people are affected by opinions of the others. Mm-hmm. I couldn't care less if you love me, hate me, or whatever. It doesn't right. affect my sleep because I know what I am. Because, mm-hmm. like, the routine for me, for example... I like in 2019, I played 250 games. Wow. At, at soccer. Wow. Uh, I think that record will never be broken mm-hmm. between outdoor and indoor. And I ended up being a player of the year solely for that reason. Right, right. But like every night, so my routine is like getting up at 4 th- 4.45, walking a dog, having a breakfast, go to the gym, do a workout, go the platoon PT with my troops. So whatever it is, uh, physical fitness that we do, run, whatever, CrossFit, whatever. Yeah. Uh, do work, go home, eat supper, get ready for a soccer game, go to bed. Wow. And imagine if you do that Groundhog Day, it's Groundhog yeah. Day. Yeah. Like even this shortened season, this is last game of this season. It's gonna yeah. be my forty fifth game. Wow! So, so that's what you do every day. That's your every routine. Every day. So even if I if I'm not playing soccer, then I'm training with like I, a son. He was ex player from uh, FC Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So I, we formed that bond. And more and more trained with the professionals. At the beginning, it's very timid because you're like, that guy's been doing this forever. He's professional. Then you start breaking down these people and mm-hmm. you start winning at small things. Maybe I beat him at the ladder drill. Right. And that, that is, that is for him, that might be a small thing. For me, it's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Now I got you somewhere mm-hmm. and then I can 
maybe beat you at something else. At that time, you become much better. Right. You're, you're always hanging around with people who know more. If you start hanging around with people uh, that know more, you have become more. And, and this goes to a mental aspect of uh, like uh, if your group of people that you hang out, you're the best of them, 10 mm -hmm. people. And they're all mediocre. Mm -hmm. This doesn't make you special. No. It makes you mediocre because mm -hmm. you don't understand how many levels of this yes. this is. Yeah. Every level. I went, uh, so I played uh, world military games in, in uh, China mm -hmm. for, for Canada. Yeah. And uh, it's literally Olympics before the Olympics. Right. This is where they get all the Olympic athletes to kind of pre test the water before the actual right. summer Olympics. Yeah. So they know what they need to improve to be that guy. So they're all, everybody in every other nation is uh, literally a military, military because they have to do service. They write off their service by, let's say, competing in this. Oh, yeah. So they represent the country, yeah. right? Yeah. So in soccer, you play against professionals and you see how these guys mm -hmm. move, how effective this is. Like you can look at the, look at the TV and you're like, ah, oh, that guy missed the net. Mm -hmm. You don't understand what speed of that game is mm -hmm. that he just missed or how he does yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's very very tough so yeah so that gives you a perspective and when you're around these people that are like oh wow these guys are like like titans mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then you start realizing how small you are mm -hmm. in, a, in a speck of things because mm -hmm. we call it two uh in a uh, special operations and i think somebody was uh, maybe gogging said because uh we all get excited about something like you want to do something, but that excitement will wear off yeah, eventually. Yeah. What you have is discipline. Discipline mm -hmm. is what makes the mm -hmm. soldier, makes everybody what it is. Yeah. So you watch a movie, it's Lone Survivor or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I want to be a special forces. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard for me, easy to say, because I'm on a couch. The temperature is 19 degrees. Mm. I have my fridge there. I get my water. But environment is controlled there's no i'm relaxed mm -hmm. but as soon as you put in that uncomfortable position all your body is screaming oh, let's get the yes quit, yeah, quit. yes i don't want to do this man yeah. i don't want anybody yelling at me doing this like when is this going to end but you got to take it one step at a time because yeah. if you start thinking of the end game you're never going to make it yeah you're going to go crazy well by the time your fifth tour is around i mean did you ever have um severe like were you ever severe anxiety or, or are you scared all the time or how, well, did, how so, did so they uh how this was supposed to happen is after one tour in afghanistan there's supposed to be evaluation if you want to go to the second one yeah uh and then somebody would sign that off and saying okay it's clear to go and then on third one it has to be gone to like a cds chief of defense staff to approve it okay for some reason for me Never went anywhere. They're just like, go, just go, go, go. So when they realize what they've done after five tours, I got an email saying right now to mental health. Oh, really? Yeah. And sit down with somebody yeah. and like have this, like, I don't uh, know how this got misplaced, right. but you are, are you okay? Right. Right. And I was like, and then they went, we discussed and I don't have that PTSD mm -hmm. mindset because I let go of things. I don't get stuck in moments yeah so i let go of things and i can live like we what happened if we turned left we should have turned right well if i knew that we should have turned right i would have turned right right yeah. so i i can't go live in the past like whatever happened happened you know what somebody ended up being it's war yeah i mean it's like think about it we lost 158 soldiers over 
span of 15 years in Afghanistan, yeah, it's a tragedy. But yeah. if you think of it as a, it's war, 158 people in world war, yeah. gone in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. think of the aspects mm -hmm. of things. Like we're, we're lucky we lost 158 yes. people. Well, even, well, how do you think about the, um, first of all, how was the psychologist exam? It's, that's an amazing that somebody sent you an email. It's like, oh, we overlooked the yeah, amount of times we sent you to yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah, we overlooked it. We never even came that's, across that's the radar. That's just unbelievable. But I had that. So, so what had, created me was that Bosnia experience. Right. I already dealt with that suffering, with that extreme people dying, loss, whatever you want to mm -hmm, call mm -hmm. poverty. You can name it. Yeah. He created this. Now, could you do this to a kid who just plays PlayStation, decides mm -hmm. to join that? No. Armed forces ends up sending to Afghanistan just because you played Call of Duty. You probably couldn't because he doesn't have these coping mechanisms. No, yeah. And then sports is another thing that I absolutely believe is the greatest thing that the people can get involved with. Mm -hmm. It teaches you how to win. If you're not winner in life, you're not going to yeah, be winner yeah. in your job. You're not going to be winning your yeah. family. You're not going to be winning a war because in a war there's no silver medals. Right. It, it, there's no yeah. silver medals. You're done if if you have a silver medal. Totally, yeah. You're a loser, yeah, yeah. right? You're dead. So that's what it is, right? Sports, because every time I come in, and th I think that's what sharpens my teeth. I play a game. I want to win, want to win, want to win. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. We can't win all the time. I get it. I get it. But then I only feel something when I lose. Then I have to retool myself mm -hmm. and figure out what, what happened, one bronc, what can we improve? When you win, it's like, ah, it's expected. Yeah, yeah. Right? So what what did the psychologist or whomever mental health therapist... Had like 10 sessions. Yeah, 10 <laughs> sessions. Yeah. But what, like, you had 10 sessions, and was she amazed at how unfazed you were? Or, or yeah, did you have to unpack some stuff with her? Well, there is, obviously. There's always, like, these experiences. You come out, and then you say, what made you, like, bitter? How did you feel, like, mm -hmm. after you seen that, whatever, get vehicle get blown up? What is the exact feeling that you had? Like, was it anger? Was it, like, all these little psychologist things that, that mm -hmm. they do, obviously, to, to bring up these, I guess, anxieties. I don't have anxiety of anything, right. I guess. Uh, so... And then they figure out that, like, yeah, he doesn't doesn't sit in a moment, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. so that he cannot be like I'm almost saying immune to PTSD. He mm. can be sent, and you're like, ah, whatever. I lived, right? Uh, yeah. Well, and you're, yeah, like you said, you're you're almost born to be the one person who would do five tours. Yeah, it's it's in, born. In it's a calling. I mean, would I do something? I I believe that like. If I didn't go to the military, if I wanted to stick with the sport, I would have been a professional player mm -hmm. because it's a dedication. Like, right. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I never did drugs. Mm -hmm. I mean, those three things by itself, it's already. I don't party. I never did party in mm -hmm. my life because it's always focused on the goal to improve myself. Like, yeah. as I said, I think somewhere else. I want to play for Canada in 2026 World Cup. Yeah. Now, imagine it. What is the chances? One in a million. Mm. So you're saying I have a chance? Yeah. But that dumb and, yeah, dumber. dumb and dumber. We all laughed at that scene. Yes, yes. But imagine how powerful that thing. So I have a chance. Yes. There is a chance. Yeah. What is the like? If I look back through my life, to be the, at this point in my life, what were the odds? Maybe it was one in a million right. too, and I'm here totally. through all these things. I could have turned left, got shot. Could that guy could have pulled the trigger? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's one totally. in a million. One. So. <laughs> There is always. So that. you're saying there's a chance. So they're saying there's a chance. <laughs>
So how do you think did you you witnessed a lot of killing in Afghanistan or was that part indirectly of, yeah indirectly yeah. you can see it like yeah. you can see yeah it. and how does that affect you or no, how do you think that's or... that's ones that you, and I've seen that in Bosnia as well right yeah right as a kid but what about the like how do you think about the civilians that were killed in Afghanistan because there was like I don't know 60 I don't know how many like 70,000 and this is over the 20 years. You mean like collateral damage? Yes, yes. How do you think about that? Because that's the one where I was like... It, it, it's a sad, sad uh, part of a human nature yeah. or a sad part of, a, of I guess, war mm-hmm. that, that the innocent will pay, pay mm-hmm. the price because obviously as much as we think that everybody's a precision instrument, mm-hmm. we're not. What, those decisions are made at that whatever levels with information that's made. I never think it's a deliberate, obviously mm-hmm. not that that is awful, but you know, sometimes people just get in, get in those situations. Mm-hmm. You can't take that bullet or rocket right. or whatever it is. It, it's gone and it's launched and yeah. it's people, people die everywhere. And I know you don't uh, look back too much, but now that um, Biden has pulled all the troops out after 20 years and just even the amount of money spent you know, like for me, I just think like, what what a waste. But do you do you think about it that way? I, you know what? The only way to change a place like that is to colonize it for three hundred years. Right. Through generations, show them the better way. Right. That, you know what? Show them the way that you're gonna improve that place, and through generations will always work out i think at the end it'll be but you have to commit yourself for x amount of time mm-hmm. and i i think what happens is that like it as money is imaginary currency that we value everybody's life by right i mean i don't even know how the digital money works with the digital now that mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. days it because it can be whatever like a country like us that that's spread out in so many ways mm-hmm. and everybody it's almost like a they're almost target because you're when you remember when you're in the top or you think yourself at the top or you're a contender everybody's gunning for you mm-hmm. everywhere else so in order to you to become best you always have to be Exert- working harder than everybody yeah, else yeah so you bleeding money in Af- afghanistan for example well one that has to stop so they probably made that critical decision of like listen we're we're putting too much into mm-hmm. this we're not getting anything out of this and this is what happens right everybody will divert to itself so i think what happened it created a an enemy again mm-hmm. so now everybody's pissed off mm-hmm. but because once they occupied it they left just like russians did right and they really despise russians mm-hmm. for what they did mm-hmm. they hate them so so that's what it is, right? It's it's they created another entity that might come down the road. Yeah, yeah. They, or might even align with somebody like like China might align somebody that's on, on the other side right. of the fence and become an ally to them, and then all of a sudden you become a worse enemy. Mm-hmm. And so, do you think if we never went to Afghanistan, you know, what do you think the the, what, what what would that picture have looked like? Russia would have entered or entered their territory, or I don't know. If anybody, you remember that place has never been conquered, right? Even Alexander the Great didn't want to go through it. I mean, think about it. And he conquered most of the world, yeah. To the, to the well, sense. Well, tell me again. Just 
I want to end on a I want to end on you telling the funny story about that donkey, but um, if you don't mind, yeah. Um, but wh- oh, I, I know you've talked with um, you know admiration about the Afghan people in terms of how um, and maybe ab- admiration is not a word I want you want me oh, to resilience resilience yeah and like wh- is that just from like so many years of suffering suffering they don't have anything right so when you don't have anything you don't know what is yeah like yeah you don't have a tv you don't have anything right so how do you know what life better life is right or like even education education is a big part of everything mm-hmm. right every big part of you progressing as a human being is educating yourself mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and now think about it education is almost at the fingertip right yeah. google yeah for example yeah. you don't know something you google it yeah now you'll find it in a second so you've been a book smart or whatever it is it's almost out of the window yeah you need to know how to interact how, how do you like, now in canada like what do you see um you know some of the first world problems that people it's laughable bitch about it's how, laughable yeah um, what do you when you come up through what you went through it's laughable mm-hmm. right you, you're complaining about the for example price of gas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that went let's say let's say 10 cents right so in a long scheme of you using gas 10 cents higher at the end of let's say a month you 40 bucks mm-hmm. is it worth really your time and you losing your train of thought for complaining when mm-hmm. you can do something more with that time mm-hmm. instead of like okay went up like i don't understand all the behind scenes yeah. what happens to go up 10 cents or taxes or whatever you want and even if I really wanted to understand, I can find out. Right. But is it worth of my time? Or what I'm going to solve, me getting mad about, mm-hmm. I don't know, prices of this, <laughs> prices of that, nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So like the Facebook is a perfect example mm-hmm. of why we're degrading as a society mm-hmm. because everybody bitches about anything. Yes. Right. It's it's a huge, like uh, I usually, de- like I would say unfollow people who are very negative mm-hmm. because I don't need positivity i think is more like if i can learn something from you then you become interesting to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if i don't learn anything why do i need you mm-hmm. right you're just gonna bring me down there's these energy suckers yes they call it. totally there's always people always you come in like, oh man this is sucks <laughs> yeah. this uh yeah do i really no i don't need i need the guys who be like hey man you know what put your shoes on at 5 a.m yeah, yeah. put your shoes on at 5 a.m let's go for a run yeah and you're like i don't really feel like you know what you feel like it yes right? and just and that's what i need yeah in, in life is that positivity or that somebody they'll like grab you but and and the end of the day you need to find that in mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and say listen i will i want to change i mm-hmm. want to do this to become whatever you want to do you need to make the plan yeah. And then stick to it. Yeah. The sticking to it is a hard part. It's the hardest once part. Once you start losing motivation, mm-hmm. once it becomes very hard, because we all can get excited for a week or two, yeah. but after two weeks, three weeks, oh man, becomes a grind. Oh, yeah. Grind, it just sucks. Well, it's like uh, Jocko Will, I like it, discipline is freedom, because I really believe that to be uh, absolutely. true as well. Um, so tell me, this is the stories they don't show in the Hollywood um, war movies about your experience with the donkey and yeah so we had a a, like an armored column besides and it was very that they're very very smart people because they want to capture you with these ieds where you're not looking or so they created two ieds one on the left side one on the right side one on the left side was a donkey he just packed a bit of punch i guess (laughs) 
uh, the right side was uh, the main IED. Right. So you're driving through this godforsaken. Everything is yellow. Right. right? There's some trees, some orchard, whatever. Uh, and there's a donkey. Of course, what are you going to pay your attention? I don't care who you are, man. This is like become after four or five months in the place, everything becomes same. And you're like, oh, there's a donkey, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody is looking at the donkey. Like, yeah, you do your job, but everybody is still focused. You can say whatever you want. I'm the toughest guy. I can figure these problems. But the donkey, you're like, hey, there's a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> of course, there's an ID on the other side waiting for you, right? Because they made him in line. So you're going to focus on one, and then mm -hmm. both are going to blow up at the same time. And then, you know, you have to deal with the consequences mm -hmm. of poor donkey being scattered all over the place including your uh, own vehicle and you yeah. have to scrape them off <laughs> and that that like that the treacherous terrain i guess and the other things we never talk about is the temperature mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. a hellhole 55 mm -hmm. degrees yeah it's full geared 100 pounds of gear with 55 degrees wow. and you're in a tank there's no air conditioning we have these chiller vests that are not designed to grade mm -hmm. it's literally like a coolant vest that you wear underneath worked like quarter of a time uh, so it's like inside, it's like a microwave. It's like wow. 70 degrees. Yeah. And you want to talk about sauna? There you go. There's a, a sauna yeah. experience. So you, um, yeah. So the donkey explodes. Yeah. And, and the other one explodes. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so you got donkey guts all over your tank. And so you're spending three hours the next day. Yeah. You're just scraping them off. Scraping it off. Yeah. And plus 55 yeah, degrees Celsius weather. Yeah, he does. Oh, he comes cooked, I guess. He's cooked, yeah. That's yeah. right. On the, on the grill. Could have been lunch. On the grill. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, man. It's been almost two hours, and it's kind of flown by. And, and thanks for your service as well. It's a, quite a noble um, a noble uh, reason for you to um, take up the call for the country because it was the country that... Yeah, provided so, everything yeah, that I have, yeah, right? That, and the, the one thing I said... For, for that day that he stuck the gun, I realized that I was dead. Like, not morbidly, like, at the end of the day, whether I die now or I die when I'm 80, I'm born to be dead. Mm. So mine as well, like, the fear is not to go whatever it is after life. And somebody tells to me, hey, you could have been this and you're just this. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you could have been that guy. So they're saying that what's the richest place in the world? Mm. graveyard mm. so many inventions that are not I invented see, yeah, so yeah. many books never written so many presidents or whatever prime ministers have never been because they never went explore their potential mm -hmm. right they never went to that next step of becoming something else and like now that there's no war now there's soccer right that's my that, next yes, war yes. if there's a war so be it we'll go deal with mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. and I'm willing to go anywhere at any time but once again, it's for the service of the country, service for these, for the people that uh, that I admire. I I can never speak ill about anybody of of Canadian, obviously, because because you guys, I'm alive, mm -hmm. and that is this is my greatest consent. If I I said I I want to die either on a battlefield or in a soccer pitch. Mm. <laughs> I don't want me to die surrounded by love and. People watching me go, no, I want to die doing what I what I do. Wow. That's awesome. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. And uh, good luck at the game tonight. I won't be there for – well, yeah, I can't even say why I won't be there because they'll just make fun of me. Um, oh. But uh, 
Because you, you would have played if you had got a vasectomy. Oh, you would have played if you got a vasectomy on Thursday. You didn't learn anything from this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Confronting the madness. Yeah, that's right. Well, thanks, Luke. It's been great talking to you, Ben. You're welcome.